Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome to episode 44 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Hope you're all having a splendid morning, day, evening, or whenever you choose to tune in with us. Today's guest is an incredibly insightful individual by the name of Peter Shallard. So Peter is a friend of mine. I had first heard him speak at a event back in 2015, and this is the first time I'd ever heard anybody use the principles of psychology and a strong foundation in business to really show people how they can unlock the truest and best versions of themselves. And I'd never really been exposed to anything positive in general, really, for the most part. This is my first ever conference I'd ever been to. And Peter's talk made an indelible mark on me. So I'm super grateful to have him on the show today. Peter uh, is known as the shrink for entrepreneurs. Uh, He's a renowned business psychology expert and uh, a former therapist who has really used his experience working with folks in some of the deepest, darkest places of life. Uh, help, uh, and he's taken all this experience, and now he helps entrepreneurs strive to reach greater goals of wealth, freedom, and social impact by removing the roadblocks that stop people from getting places fast. And I think that Peter's insights as a therapist and also a renowned businessman allows him to sort of see patterns across every single person he works with to really unlock the true meaning behind why people can't get what they want. And it was such a fascinating conversation because, first of all, it was refreshing. Peter uh, is the real deal, and he's seen everyone and everything, and he's seen so many different variations of success that exploring concepts like meaning, purpose, um, struggle, hardship, the reasons why certain people succeed and certain people don't, his insights on all of this was blowing me away. And, you know, he is, he's, he's got a wealth of just knowledge and practicality. And he's got a, a company named Commit Action. You can go check it out, commitaction.com, where he actually helps companies, individuals, entrepreneurs outsource the battle for focus and productivity. So he helps people really almost leverage systems and tools and proven psychological principles to get willpower out of the question and really sort of streamline productivity and focus. And so he's, he's been in the personal development stage and just industry for ages. And I'm just so privileged. I felt so privileged to sit here and just listen to this man speak about what truly makes people successful and what truly makes people fulfilled on the search to meaning in life. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you want to learn more about uh, Commit Action, it's commitaction.com. Peter also has an incredible blog at petershaller.com. So please go check them out. These links are already available on the website and more. But before we get started with the actual episode, if you haven't already, rate, subscribe, review to the Stay Grounded podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your method of madness is. Super grateful to have you guys here and super grateful to be sharing the brilliance of my good friend, Mr. Peter Shallard. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. Super pumped to have my good friend here, Mr. Peter Shallard. Peter, how are you, man? I am great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be chatting. Yeah, man. I have, uh, I've been a... Uh, obviously a friend, but also an admirer of your work for some time now. I heard you speak a couple of years ago, and that was one of the first times, I think I told you about this story, but it's one of the first times that it sort of made a shift for me as, a, uh, as an entrepreneur and just as an aspiring life enthusiast. Um, and so I'm really excited to sort of dive into the mind uh, behind, behind the madness. 
Yeah, man, let's do it. I wish I had more memories of that speaking event years ago and what I actually talked about and stuff, but I'm glad that it made such a, such a strong impression on you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Well, let's, let's dive in. Um, so I'm curious, you know, the way you started, right? So I'm on your about page, I'm going through your story and I'm kind of experiencing it. What about the field of business psychology attracted you in the first place? Well, oh, that, yeah, that's an interesting question. So when I start, my background is in the like clinical, you know, psychotherapy work. I, my, my very first business was a, um, like a brick and mortar therapy practice in New Zealand where I grew up. Um, that's where I got started. And so I, initially I wasn't, uh, I didn't have anything to do with the business kind of space at all. And I was one of those people who studied something that they were deeply, pa- I was deeply passionate about, which for me was psychology and then kind of found my way almost sort of kind of like accidentally and, and almost like unintentionally un- not in, it was intentional, but it wasn't sort of mindful to being a business owner. Cause I kind of looked around at what I could do with my training. And then I was like, well, really I want to work with people. And the best way to do that is to start a practice I didn't want to work for anyone else. I was kind of like, I was young. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was like, like naive optimism about what was going to happen. So I was like, this is going to be easy. And I think there was, the truth is, is there was an aspect of laziness to it where I thought it would be easier to work for myself than to work for somebody else. And uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, you're right to laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Hold on that uh, pretty quickly. And so what happened is I started this business and I just had no idea about anything about business. And I actually had like, I had a significant amount of resentment that I built up because my the way I thought that the universe works was I've spent so long training in how to help people with these psychological tools as a therapist that I deserve for a line of clients to be waiting outside my door hmm. uh, to, and, and they should just know about me because like, why doesn't the world work that way? And so what I did is I went and took a, I went and took a lease on like an office, a brick and mortar location uh, and I sat there with like a phone. I took out an ad in the yellow pages because I knew you had to have like some way for people to find you. And then, um, and that that definitely dates the story. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I sat there and waited for the phone to ring, and nothing happened. And I freaked out because I had taken on this overhead. I had to pay for this rent, but I didn't have like any clients, anyone really yeah. coming in. And so, it was actually the the rude awakening of realizing that that. <sighs> And it was so painful to do this. Like in hindsight, it's easy to explain and like tie a nice little bow on it. But really what it was, was realizing that the work of learning to do the thing was over, that I had gotten the training and I was ready to go. But the work of like starting a business and learning how to do that was only just beginning. And like, I was really day one in the school of entrepreneurship and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know that I was now an entrepreneur that I was trying to do this. I kind of didn't even think of myself as a business owner. So it was this painful process. And I started like learning about things like sales and marketing. And and I really like kicked and screamed. I didn't want to do it. I thought it was, I found all of that stuff icky. I like didn't want to have to like promote myself. I was entitled, like, why should I? Um, But what actually happened is I did... I did start getting through like some family and friends referrals, like my first couple of clients. And I was so fortunate that early on, I got an entrepreneur when I was working with a few people on these like clinical problems, pretty heavy stuff. I had this business owner come and see me as a patient, like as a client. And uh, they, they wanted help with like a flying phobia. Um, but, but we, First of all, it was a revelation to work with this person because they were so like hungry for tools and wanted to like change this this phobia thing that was holding them back, holding them back in business from traveling and growing their business uh, that way. And they were just so hungry about like proactive change that I was like, wow, like who is this guy? Why is he so like compared to my other clients where there's always quite a lot of resistance? Like the hard part about doing that kind of work is that people want to change, but there's a part of them that doesn't want to change. Whereas this guy was like wholeheartedly, yes, give me tools. Tell me what to do. Like I'd give the homework at the end of the consult to come back and have like overachieved and just be ready to rock. 
and so he, in the end, like a lot of entrepreneurs that I would come to learn over the years, he sort of flipped the conversation at the end of our consults and was like, hey, like, how's this little business of yours going? And, and that really became my first kind of mentor. I, th- this person started referring me other business owners. He thought I had like some incredible tools for people like him. Um, who needed help dealing with like the stresses and some of the kind of mental pathologies that that affect business owners. But he also started kind of taking me under his wing. And he was the one who really made me see like sales and marketing is a skill that not only you need to learn, but you can learn. Like he kind of gave me that hope. And if I'm honest, I had that lesson from people like even my own father was like, you got to get out there and drum up some business. But I didn't want to hear it from him. But having this kind of external guy who I didn't know sort of come and start coaching me on that. That was the beginning for me of like a lifelong, like that was when I picked up my first business book. That was when I first started experimenting. I remember realizing that we could probably grow the business and get more people in by doing a direct mail marketing campaign Mm. and like learning what the hell that even was and how copywriting, for example, is like an important skill for a a very small business owner to have. I remember that one because I I had several different experiments, but that was the first thing that really worked was that I wrote, I wrote this letter. We did this direct mail campaign that like blew up the practice. And that was the first time that I saw like this entrepreneur thing is like a set of skills that when you harness them and you click it into place and you get something right, crazy stuff happens. And I went from struggling to like being overbooked with clients because of this one kind of this one initiative. Right. So that, me, that was, that was how I got a taste of like entrepreneurship. And then it kind of, yeah, there's a whole, yeah. story let, me, that. let me, let me dial that back because I think there's a lot of gold packed in there. So you, what I find fascinating is that you found like you just gotten out of this, this, like from being a therapist and now being a business owner, like a business owner who's also a therapist. And you felt like you put in your 10,000 hours and that thing should come and you had this entitled mindset. Yeah. What about being around this business owner sort of changed your own internal dialogue to start picking up the act of learning all over again? It's almost like you re you were reborn in a sense like instead of looking at it from a sand of, or from a stance of, okay, you know, I've done this. I shouldn't have to learn this stuff. I'm done to now all of a sudden you're being excited about learning new things like sales and marketing and copywriting and direct mail. What was the shift for you in that moment? Man, no one's ever asked me that before. It's a good, I got to think about that. It's a good question. I think, I think that part of it must've been the fact that he had a he had that entrepreneurial optimism that I think all successful entrepreneurs I've since learned all successful entrepreneurs have, where he was kind of like like he would ask me at the end of the consults, like, how's the business going? How is your little practice going? Like what's happening? And there was always this like presupposition in every conversation we had about that stuff that like this could be really easy it could be really like effortless. Like he would kind of say things like, you know, the work you do is so powerful. I think you're really onto something. I'm sure if you just, if we could just figure out like something like the, you know, some, some marketing thing, he would almost like for him, it was like an intellectually intellectual curiosity. Like the challenge of like, he knew I was good to work with. Like he was like, you've been so valuable to me. And for him, he was like, I got to like figure out how to solve this problem of having strangers find out about you and decide to become customers. He was kind of like, I know that, I know that when we get it, it's just going to like click and it's going to be easy. And I think, I think what unlocked it for me was that optimism that somewhere out there in the myriad of possibilities for what I do with my career, there was like uh, an easy path or like, I wouldn't even say easy, but like an ultra effective path where you put like one unit of effort in and you get 10 back in terms of value, right? Like it was that entrepreneurial like arbitrage, like if we can just find that right thing and hit it, it's going to go big. And that, that like, that was tantalizing. Like that was yeah. when I realized that drumming up business wasn't necessarily some chore. It was like an intellectual like problem to solve. And when you solve it, it could be like this huge win. And I think that was, I think that like, that just the possibility that that was like a puzzle waiting to be figured out 
was what kind of got me to transition from, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, it was a shift from like, uh, seeing myself as a clinician at the end of their professional journey, whose now job it was to just like do the work to seeing myself as like a student again. Uh, and it didn't happen overnight, that transition. It was like uncomfortable right. and there was a lot of like kicking and screaming mentally. But like once it did happen, I mean, it changed my entire, the entire trajectory of my life. It's literally, you know, I like don't even recognize myself in the story when I'm describing it. So did, yeah. How did your, um, I think one of the biggest parts about changing is that there is that subconscious wiring that's sort of pulling you back, right? Into right. comfort. And I think you said this pretty brilliantly that, you know, entrepreneurs have this eternal optimism that sort of fuels them when they're, it's almost like a brainwashing of the subconscious. How did you start training your subconscious to almost be on your side as you were going through these, these steps to, to whether it's, it's making curiosity, something that's, that's intangible inside of you or just growth, that growth mindset or adopting that. How did you train your mind? To, Cause I think the first step is, is yourself. Like before you started teaching anybody, you had to train yourself. How did you go about doing it uh, consistently so that you could reach that one thing that brought you 10 X results um, moving forward? That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I felt like, like on the other side of this sort of transformation, when I kind of developed the growth mindset, I felt like I had an unfair advantage because I had all of these psychological skills uh, that I had kind of studied and that I could kind of deploy in. And I, what I started doing was like mixing them in with the, with the business stuff that I was doing. So for example, I realized that I needed to basically learn how to sell at one point. And this is, we're sort of fast forwarding a little bit in the story here, but I, I had started like doing some almost like consulting at the corporate level where I was doing like the therapeutic work, but with executives who needed help with like some health problems and mental health stuff. And so I had to like win these like corporate contracts. It was almost B2B sales. And I realized I had this inadequacy and I was like, I'm going to go and learn how to do this. But what I also realized is that there is some like unconscious competencies that really effective salespeople have that I can like understand at a psychological level and then sort of replicate. So I was digging into like, I, the way that I was kind of pushing myself is I was taking every business book, every lesson, like every sales principle and thinking about it and it's sort of evaluating it through the matrix that I saw the world as somebody who's like thought and trained deeply on like why is it that people do the things they do? How do people tick at a psychological level? So that was really, and I didn't know it at the time because the, the evolution of my career was I went from doing this just really, you know, clinical work with regular people, like civilians, anxiety disorders, addiction, depression, that pretty heavy stuff. The next thing I started doing sort of simultaneously was I had a few crazy opportunities that were sort of unlocked as a part of this journey to go into large businesses and provide that as a sort of an employee assistance program type service where I was getting paid like a lot of money to do this kind of work with like high level executives. And that was kind of the first like, version 1.1 of my business. And so like, yeah, I think that I, I think that that, that beginning of this thesis of crazy cool stuff happens when you combine like really traditional, you know, and, and, and academic and also empirical, like evidence-based psychology with some of this like business literature with some of the stuff that businesses, business coaches and people like that say. I mean, I one of the things I did was I actually went and got a part-time job in it mm. while I was still running my practice. And it's something that I love giving the advice because I think it's so rare to hear this to entrepreneurs of like, you should totally get a job because I went and got one in sales. I got a, a commission compensated part-time sales job because I wanted to learn from this company yep. that had a track record of like spitting out like super successful B2B sales pe people. Yep. And I literally pitched them on the interview. I was like this kid and I went in and I was like, listen, I know a ton of stuff about psychology. I think I could come in here and learn what you guys do and work for you and like build a book, uh, you know, build up some business for you. And I was like, and then I'm going to be done. I want to go apply this in my real business, but I'll make you 
a deal. Like I'll learn faster than anybody else and, and I'll create results for you. And then like, we'll, we'll split and this will be like a short term thing. But while I'm here, I'll create like, I'll create an asset for you as a business. And the, the guy who interviewed me had never heard anything like this. He was like, I like this kid. Well, I have a, God, I have so many questions for you. Um, I'm going to break them down one by one. One, I think you of out of most people have a unique perspective because you've seen both sides of the coin, right? You've seen people who have gone through some really, really, really dark stuff, but then you've also seen people on the other side of that. And instead of wanting to understand the differences, what do you think the similarities are between people who are going through really, really, really dark stuff and people who are, who are almost, who have this eternal optimism about them is, are there similarities between the two? Hmm. I, th- I mean, I think people are the same in that we all want the same things, right? Like that, that human beings, are, you know, entrepreneurs aren't that different. The successful folks I get to work with these days, they're not that different to regular people, to the folks that I used to work with back in the day who were, you know, in some cases, like having some of the darkest nights of their soul, you know, really gazing into the void. And I think that the same things you know, the same things are affect people and the same challenges are always present. It's like, you know, how do you get security in your life so that you feel safe that you've, that you've got, that you're able to like maintain the position that you're at. That's the primary concern of every independent person who's not like, you know, support, who's not a child, who's not supported by like, you know, family or whatever. Like as we start to grow up and get older, we realize like it's all on me now. And so there's like a tremendous anxiety that affects people. And you'd be surprised how many entrepreneurs there are with multi-million dollar businesses who have that same anxiety, the same like pattern of anxiety that somebody has when they're, you know, on food stamps and, and barely able to support themselves. It's like, it's this, you know, people have very different journeys, but that fundamental kind of thing is there. And I think once people solve it, there's then that like every human being wants to have like significance, right? That humans are deeply driven by status where a, we are, you know, social political yeah. mammals, right? So where our closest sort of genetic ancestors, are, are, you know, are chimpanzees, these, these social primates that play these incredible tribal games of like, who's the top, who's the top chimp, right? And so humans are like deeply motivated by that stuff. And it's funny how like, you know, you could be talking to somebody who's, you know, who's muddling through life with a job they hate, you know, not getting the results they want and, and, and who's, you know, wrestling with some kind of mental health issue. Or you could be talking to the founder of like a multi-million dollar venture capital backed startup, billion dollar mm-hmm. company in some cases. And it's amazing how much those two people get out of bed to get recognition and respect and status at the unconscious level from the people around them and their lives. It's amazing how many founders of these huge companies have built these things because they just want to show the people they went to high school with like that they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's deep psychological stuff, man. I mean, and well, let me ask you this. How do you gamify that and use that to your advantage? Um, you know, like, cause it's not going anywhere. I don't think no matter, no matter how much you invest in personal development and, and becoming more aware of yourself and the things that drive you, I don't think it's going to go away. It just shows up in different forms. So as your fears, your insecurities, your doubts sort of evolve as you grow, how do you sort of level yourself up to where you can recognize these patterns as they come up? the like the what the patterns for like searching for status and that kind of stuff yeah like how do you because i think one of like one thing i'm starting to realize is that you know i've had the same fears forever Mm -hmm. they just show up in so many different ways right Mm -hmm. like they might show up in money they might show up in relationships they might show up in status or ego i mean there's so many different forms of the same sort of core thing um, and my, I'm starting to get better at recognizing that, but how do you do that faster? How do you start to recognize these patterns that are in your life and these core things that are the problem and the root of all of your issues and start to bring those things to the surface so that you can solve them? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that that's the goal of like all, all sort of self-development and, and self-help and therapy and that kind of stuff. But I think like, uh, you know, for the people listening to this conversation, like an interesting answer to that question, and certainly like one of my big beliefs is that doing your own thing, like betting on yourself and starting your own business and going on that kind of journey 
is actually probably one of the most accelerated tracks of genuine personal development that you'll ever kind of go down. It's so much better than a Tony Robbins weekend. (laughs) The reason is that starting a business and trying to figure out how to create something out of nothing, like create value, like as an individual, like I'm going to go out and do something in the world that other human beings want so much that they'll like find me and pay me for it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like doing that from nothing, from first principles is such a ass kicking, difficult, challenging experience that it will, it will ferret out and shine a light on like every like dark spot in your psyche, every, every aspect of your personality where there's a lack of self-awareness, where there's something that you need to learn and it'll just present those to you. So I really, I mean, that's why like I love the work that I get to do now. I really believe that building a business is basically the most the most dedicated journey and commitment you can make to self growth. Cause it like, it just finds you, man. Like it'll just find you. Like if you've got a problem where, you know, there's an aspect of your ego that like you're just blind to your business will just find that out. And that'll, that will create an event that kicks your ass and makes you pay. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I got to change this thing about myself. Let me ask you something on that note. Why, what's the value of uncovering those demons? by putting yourself through so much struggle. Starting a business is hard. Um, It's not easy. Why, what makes the journey worth it? I think that there's a certain kind of, uh, there's a certain kind of satisfaction to be found in the freedom that's created from, from like achieving sort of escape velocity right? Like that, that being able to get to a place in life where you can, where you're entirely uh, autonomous, where you can do what you want, where you can kind of wake up in the morning, like on a day-to-day basis. And like, you get to do whatever the hell you want. You have an incredible amount of yeah agency over how you spend your time and who you spend it with and where you are. Right. That's, to me, I think that that's one of the most rewarding, like that just, just rewards wise, that's like a really cool place to kind of end up. It's a, it's a good journey to be on, right? Like a lot of the, a lot of the struggles that people have in their life, a lot of things that make people unhappy come, come down to a lack of agency, right? A, A place where humans feel as though they don't have choice. The number one reason that most people start businesses, at least in the English speaking, like Western world, you know, that I'm familiar with. Yeah is they feel they they feel like a hunger for freedom right and what does freedom mean it's like you can only really define freedom as an escaping of bonds in some way shape or form so they feel trapped they feel as though there's an external circumstance that's forcing something on them like a behavior that they don't have a choice over and they and then they want to make the ultimate choice which is like you know, one in three Americans, according to the US Treasury, has like wishes that they could start a business someday, right? That's like, that's sort of being surveyed across like a big sample population. It's crazy how many people like, there's something in our psyche that says, let, let, let me go be the captain of my own boat, you know, yeah. like to- total, total autonomy, total responsibility. Right. Uh, and I think that I think that that's that's why it's worth it. You said something really interesting. You said total autonomy, but then you just said total responsibility. Those are two very <sighs> contradictory, almost like from a positive negative standpoint, right? People look at the idea of responsibility as as work or mm. as a burden. You know, how do you view responsibility? Damn it, Raj! There's, you're, you're getting into the deep, the deep paradoxes of of this whole world of like the psychology of entrepreneurship. I so aim to please. I aim to so, please. It's so true. It's so true. There is a there is a paradox in there. The, look, the thing is, is that like, let's say freedom is your number one value, right? You're like, I want to have freedom, so I'm going to organize my life to be as free as I possibly can. There's a certain kind of freedom that a lot of that for some people is practically defined as not having to do anything, right? I don't have to do anything ever. That's free. But if you never do anything ever, you're going to have absolutely no freedom. If you look at like a hobo in the street sleeping in a cardboard box, that guy is living a life where he doesn't have to do anything really ever, right? And that's in a weird way, that's the other side of that like freedom kind of paradox, 
And so what most entrepreneurs figure out is that like, actually like freedom is a great kind of value to get them moving, but that ultimately what they end up building requires the shouldering of some responsibility that, you know, that anyone who has a team who pays payroll to employees, which can be, again, talking about paradoxes and double-edged swords can be one of the most like rewarding things to like hit, click the authorization button on your payroll software and know that like people are paying their bills and feeding their kids with the thing that you built with the momentum and the energy of the thing that you built. But any business owner knows that clicking that payroll authorization or signing it back in the day can also be one of the most stressful things. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that I mean, I think that this is why it's such a juicy place. This is why humans grow so much when they engage with these activities because there's double-edged swords as far as the eye can see. There's these paradoxes everywhere. But yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think people start a lot of their entrepreneurial journey because they want freedom. And I think that they, most of the people who really create something significant and go on a really significant journey of personal growth end up ultimately realizing that it's the shouldering of responsibility in the service of, of, of something greater than themselves, like building something that makes a dent, you know, that, that has some kind of impact that really rewards them in the end. And, and, and what's crazy is that with that, they'll often have people who go down that path will attain the types of freedoms that, you know, that, that we dream, that people dream about from the postcard view of entrepreneurship, right? Like the freedom to travel, have exotic vacations, to have like high end experiences. But it's funny how like for a lot of the people who really take this all the way, it's actually the responsibility, the momentum of what they build, the people whose lives they touch. That's the really rewarding thing. And the, the beach resort is just like a kind of a sideline destination to kind of help recharge them to get them to where they're going. Why do you think purpose and that pursuit of responsibility fuels certain people? Oh man, Raj, so deep, such deep questions. I wasn't ready for this. Um, <laughs> I told you we were going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I, think, I think that I think that we're trying to figure out what I mean. I think we're trying to figure out how to have meaning in our lives, you know. And I think that we live at a we live at a time. It's never been a better time to to be alive. And almost any certainly for anyone who has the technology to be to be listening to this right now, it's the best time to be alive right? Like we're, we're incredibly fortunate, all of us, the places that we've been born and sort of we've, we've hit the like, we've hit the sort of genetic lottery of being alive here and now, right? Even, even if our parents weren't the best, even if they made fun of us at high school, life is pretty good. But the thing is, is that I think that, I think there is like a hunger for meaning, you know, I think that we're not, humans are trying to figure out like, what is the point of what it is that we're doing? What are we here to create? That's why like on my website, not to like plug the website, but I talk about how I have this sort of key word, which are these key words of wealth, freedom, and sanity, because that's what I help entrepreneurs create, have all of those things at the same time. And, and it says on my site, and I really believe it's like, what happens next when you can accomplish that hat trick and have all three of those things at the same time, that's where stuff gets really interesting, right? That's where people start to go, all right, I set out, I, I did what I set out to do. I've got some, I got the wealth, I got the freedom. I stayed sane. I didn't kill myself and burn out while I did it. Now what? And the answer to that question, I think is like really an expression of, well, what is the point of my life? You know, and that's where people do some of the most meaningful and important stuff. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if we can go deeper than this. I think this is the depth, like this is the bottom limit. It's like, what's the meaning of our existence? What are we here to accomplish? And I think that, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs, I'm, I, I'm privileged enough now to have built a client roster that like this is, you know, a 10 year story that we've sort of started telling oh, more than that now, actually. And, uh, you know, I work with people who have built billion dollar companies and like the ability for these people to solve problems on like a global scale and really make like a big impact is, is remarkable. And so for me, like that's what gets me excited about this whole journey. Let me ask you something on that note, the, the idea of meaning being the Holy grail. Um, I think that, and this is including myself, you know, I, there's a lot of times where the meaning is almost staring right in front of you. And, and it might be through your work. It might be through your relationships. It might be through the seed or the legacy you're building, 
Mm. But they show up in many different forms. But a lot of times I'm blind to it or I, I, I turn a, a cold shoulder to it or it's not something that bubbles up to the top. So how do you train yourself to start noticing um, when the right things and opportunities are showing up in your life? And how do you train yourself to look past the burden of responsibility that likely shields you from actually pursuing meaning to actually turning that into almost a compass where you can start going forward and towards something that fulfills you at a deep level? So let me tell me if this makes sense to you. Like if this, if you think, I think I understand what you're saying. Let this may, this might be a useful answer. I think that what you're talking about is a resistance to kind of the call to action, right? Like a resistance to doing the things to, to kind of building the deeper meaning in your life that comes about as a result of a, a, a of your personal like preference away from suffering, away from pain. Because human beings are naturally wired, right? There's like a really important part of our brain that's like, my job is to move you away from things that hurt and towards things that feel good, right? It's the most natural human thing in the world. It trips us up though in the pursuit of meaning because once we start really doing things that matter, right? The, 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 there, there's always this yin-yang paradox that is exactly what we're talking about, right. where you sometimes actually have to suffer in the service of these things that you're working towards. Like, into, like and, and any entrepreneur will tell you that. Like, I work with a lot of venture capital-backed startup founders, and the cool thing about those businesses is a lot of them have what they call a liquidity event, right? They sell the company and they get a big check. So there's like a real win. But most people, when they when the dust settles and they've done that and they have that successful kind of moment, they pop the champagne on that. Like, if you talk to them six months later, you kind of ask them, like, "Would you do it again?" There's like a they, they look back and they're like, "But it was really hard. Like, they really suffered, right? Like, there was a real. They didn't have any yang without yin or whichever yeah. one, whichever one it is." And so I think that that's where a lot of resistance comes from people who have opportunity in front of them, who have things that kind of open up and unfold, these invitations to kind of go on adventures that life serves your way. But if you have an internal, if you have like a deep drive towards like hedonic pleasure, if you're optimizing your life so that everything feels good all the time, and a lot of entrepreneurs do this, a lot of young inexperienced entrepreneurs in my experience in my experience do this right and they're never as successful as they can be because they're obsessed with freedom they're obsessed with not being tied down or committing to anything or, or doing anything that doesn't feel good right and so they can get a certain kind of they can go a certain distance but because they don't when, when they when they're confronted with an opportunity that requires shouldering responsibility and the thing about shouldering responsibility is it hurts a little bit yeah. you know they kind of like shy away from it. And because of that, because of that fear of suffering, they don't, they don't fulfill their potential, right? Like they're, 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 they're not able to kind of take it all the way. Now, the, the stupid thing about all of this thing is that the one rule and, 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 and the Buddha knew this is that everyone suffers. Yeah. So even if they say no in the present, and, you know, 20, I'm thinking about like a 22-year-old, 23-year-old like entrepreneur who's like their life is just, you know, maybe they're an Instagram influencer and yeah. their life is just one nonstop like party after another. And they say no to anything that sounds like too hard work. And the thing is, is that person is going to suffer in their life at some point, you know? And it's like entrepreneurship in some ways, like really going big, building something significant, you know, moving yourself up above the station that you're at by default in life is a sort of a conscious choice to embrace an aspect of discomfort, of suffering, of pain in the service of, you know, something even greater. Let me ask you, Peter, on that note though, like you're right. There are a lot of young people um, who, who have that attitude. It's, so, it's actually not fair to pick on the young people. There's a lot of old people who have that. There's attitude. a lot of people. Let's just, yeah. let's call it people, right? There's a lot of people that have this dialogue. Um, because I think from an evolutionary standpoint, we are wired to be safe and survive. And so yeah. there's likely something deep that's stopping us. But so how do you sort of communicate with hardship? How do you, because I mean, if, if you came and told me like, hey man, I actually just love hardship all the time, I would call you a liar. 
No, oh, um, yeah, I hate it. So like, so like, right. So like, how do you change your own relationship with hardship? And what have you seen across all of the, the, the successful clients you work with, or maybe even the not successful clients? What, what have you seen that works to help people change the relationship that they have with struggle? That's a big question. I think that it's prob. I think we've already talked about the answer. It's probably meaning. Yeah. Right. I think that I think that when people start to believe that their suffering, their personal individual struggle is senseless, right? That's when they that's when their perception of whatever is happening to them, whatever going is going on is is now viewed by them as chaos it's like a force uh, of chaos that's yeah. just kind of acting on them and in yep. that moment people become you know victimized by circumstance right because the yeah. thing about chaos is like you can't do anything about it it just happens and you see this and by the way like there really is chaos in people's lives a huge amount of suffering happens like think about all the people who just lose loved ones in car accidents right there's like tens of thousands of people every year who just die there's senseless suffering in the world. But in, entre in the entrepreneurial world, that stuff happens too. And what I've noticed about the way entrepreneurs make meaning out of struggle is that there's this line that can be crossed where it's like, suddenly you're a victim of this sort of ocean of chaos. And it happens every time, by the way, there's like a market correction, right? Like I've done this for long enough. I was, I was working in this field in 2008. And like there were the entrepreneurs who had a story about what happened in the market that they, that where they were, they still had some personal responsibility. And then there were entrepreneurs who had the story of then, then everything changed and how could I have known? And like it chaos, it was the world global markets fault. And then the business died and exploded or whatever. And those people are no longer entrepreneurs, you know, like they, there's no bouncing back from that because they've stopped making meaning out of the struggle and they've started just saying, like writing it off and just saying, it's just senseless chaos. It's, you know, there's nothing to it. There's and, no moral to the story. Yeah, there's nothing I can learn from this. There's nothing that I could have done differently, right? And, and, and the thing is, is it's so seductive to believe that because if you're talking about someone who, like we can use an extreme example and say like if, if, if someone you love is killed in a senseless, you know, senseless accident, that's absolutely true. There is nothing that you can learn from that. You know, you have to grieve, right? But entrepreneurs have to hold themselves to a higher standard. And that's essentially what the shouldering of responsibility is, is you've got to like, as a business owner, you've got to, you've got to be the person who's like, I, I could have done something. I would learn something from this. And that's the, that's something that I've spotted as like a pattern recognition amongst truly successful people, people who kind of have what it takes is it's like the startup founder who comes out of a VC pitch meeting walks away from that after being told by the VC, this isn't for us. We just don't invest in companies of this kind in your industry. It's nothing personal, but you don't fit our investing thesis. That the entrepreneur who walks away from that beating themselves up for not pitching better, who knew that, that what, no matter what that person said, they could have done the deal if they had just said the right thing or had the right presentation. It's a crazy attitude to have, right? That it's all on you, that you had the power to change the outcome of that meeting, even though they're saying you couldn't. You're basically saying they're lying to you. But that attitude of like tremendous personal responsibility for events is one that I've seen like correlate with extraordinarily powerful sort of upward mobility. Peter, so, yeah. I want to I ask you, that's a brilliant answer, by the way. Um, I wanted to ask you, going back to when you first applied to that sales job, um, yeah. you, you approached everything with that same attitude that, hey, I'm just going to come in here. I'm going to learn this faster than anybody. I'm going to do this better than anybody, but I'm going to go and do my own thing. You went in with that confidence before you were even really a seasoned entrepreneur. Why do you think that is? Like, what, did it, what is it about the way you were brought up or the experiences you had that sort of gave you that confidence before you had really, or even that shouldering of, of, of learning, like a responsibility to learn something? Like, what gave you that spark? I got it. I mean, I got to credit my parents, right? Like, there's, I mean, I didn't want to, <laughs> I really, I really deeply believe that like no one succeeds as an island and the idea of like self-made success is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly privileged 
I had, uh, I was raised by like really smart people. Um, my parents are university professors, uh, in literature. I had some incredible advantages that, you know, one of the ways I, we didn't get to this in the story, but that I kind of blew up my brand as the shrink for entrepreneurs was by blogging about business and the intersection of business and psychology back in like 2007 when no one was doing that. Uh, and I was kind of the first person to do it. It was easy for me because I'd been raised by professional like writers and linguists. Yeah, I was. It was uh, like summarizing the stuff and making sense out of it in a way people could digest came naturally. And I think that there's probably some aspect of that that I was like I was like a kind of cocky, confident person. I also think that the guy uh, on the other side of the table, and he actually the guy who interviewed me owned the the. He owned the New Zealand channel of this like larger business. It was a really big company that I was doing sales for, but he was essentially like sort of almost like a franchise owner of it in New Zealand. So I was talking to the main guy. It was a very small operation in New Zealand and I got lucky finding this company and sitting with him. But I also got lucky because he recognized in me like a, like a probably naive confidence slash arrogance that he may have once had himself or something like that. And he was like, I'm going to give this kid a shot, you know, and it probably didn't even make any sense to hire me. Like I had no experience, but it, you know, so I, I think that, Again, we're I said we're social political primates, right? And part of the reason, part of the part of what I think helps every entrepreneur, anyone who does this succeed in, in any way is like the the people that they surround themselves with. And it's not that you have to go and find like some multimillionaire mentor who's gonna teach you everything that you know. It's like it's amazing what will inform your journey from like just the people who are there, the people who are in your lives. You know, my parents don't know anything about entrepreneurship. Uh, and if they give me any direct advice, they're usually wrong. Like when my mom, my mom to this day will be like, well, you should do this with your business. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I wish I could keep like a running like list of <laughs> suggestions and they're, and they're terrible. But the thing is, is that, uh, you know, intuitively and, and, and more implicitly, she gave me some gifts that, you know, that, that, have, that are a huge part of everything that I've been able to accomplish. So I, I don't know. I think that's the only answer there can be for that question. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect segue into uh, this question, which is one of my favorite um, that I love to ask all of our guests. Uh, firstly, Peter, I want to just acknowledge uh, the depth of the human psyche that, that you're able to convey um, just based on experience, your own background and what you've seen across people. I think it's remarkable to hear you just sort of articulate um, the different dimensions of the psyche. And I just want to acknowledge you for that because you're freaking awesome. Um, Thanks, man. I, yeah, I've uh, been working on this stuff for a while, trying to make sense of why people do stuff. So yeah. 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 Well, keep making sense. I like listening to you talk. Um, the uh, But I had one last question. In the midst of everything you've been through, everything you've seen, the work you've put in, the things you've lost, how do you stay grounded on a daily basis? Oh man, I've been waiting for this question. I'm so excited about this. I start my day the same way every freaking day. Uh, I wake up and the first thing that I do is I hand grind. I'm not even shitting you, Raj. This is really, really true. Um, I hand grind with your competitor's product. Oh, great. Um, Sorry. I think we're going to cut cut the interview short. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. I, I, I'm a huge coffee snob. So I grew up in New Zealand. We have this crazy coffee culture there. You were just in Australia. You know what it's like. Yeah. It's like similar. So I'm just this fiend for espresso. I have a hand-powered espresso machine at home called a Rock. Uh, and I hand yeah. grind uh, and I make, a, I make espresso. And then I sit down and I read. Um, and part of the reason, if I have any ability to succinctly, eloquently sum up anything about the human condition, it's because I've just consumed a tremendous amount of, of uh, sort of educational material. So I wake up and I try to spend the first 30 to 60 minutes of my day just doing nothing but drinking the best espresso in the world and reading some of the best books in the world. Um, and for me, that's like the days that I don't do that, they're few and far between, but holy hell, I notice the difference. Like for me, that's like a very simple, I don't like to overthink it. I don't want to have a morning routine where I'm doing 17 things, but that's just the one way that I like to kind of center and, and sort of like, yeah, get grounded and get back to reality. And, and that's, uh, that's pretty much my thing. I'm, I'm like 
happiest and most scented when I'm drinking coffee and reading a good book. Well, how do you feel when you don't do that? Well, first of all, I'm not as motivated. I get, I find that like, like I read a lot of, uh, right now I'm reading a lot of philosophy. I've read everything in psychology. I've read, I, you know, I read a lot of other stuff. I find that no matter what it is, uh, I, it really helps me get inspired to kind of like the, the, the words of these great minds, these people who have had so much to contribute. I mean, literally sitting in my desk at my desk right here is, uh, what is it? The fundamental principle yeah. of the metaphysic of morals by Kant. Uh, like, can, can what this guy was thinking and contributing, and how he, what he was engaging in, kind of in terms of his intellectual curiosity, is like um, it, it gets me fired up to do something similar in my own life, and it makes me yeah. realize like the only thing that made him different to everybody else was he sat down and thought and wrote about this stuff. And I can do something like that too, in my own little way. So days that I don't do that, I feel a little disconnected from that, from that kind of that inspiration. So for me, it's a bit of a motivation hack. Um, yeah, for sure. And then yeah, that. every evening I read fiction, by the way, before I go to bed. Uh, and that like unwind. Yeah, that takes me, that's a different kind of ground. It takes my brain away to like a whole different place and I go to sleep. I love like fantasy. I love sci-fi. I mean, I read everything, but I especially love those two genres and I'll go to sleep thinking about dragons or spaceships. It's, it's kind of cool. You've got some pretty cool dreams, but yeah. no, Peter, that's a, that's a beautiful sum up to just the conversation we had about meaning, finding meaning. Um, identifying with others who have meaning and just being able to recognize patterns in your own life, uh, which I think is something you brilliantly do and, and eloquently uh, articulate about the people you work with. So I just want to, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and uh, obviously, guys, everybody listening, we're going to have all of Peter's information uh, on the website and in the intros. And so if you want to learn more about Peter and get in touch with him, uh, you will have all the, the resources to do so. But again, man, Cheers. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and But everybody, that is a wrap for this episode of the Stay Grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Peter. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And from us, guys, don't forget, stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.